we're going to continue in the book of John. So if uh, you need a Bible or anything like that, I think some people have some Bibles that uh, are free to you to take and to use for whatever uh, you need for there. And um, as we're continuing in John, whether on your phone or maybe your own Bible, hopefully, uh, we'll be in uh, John chapter 8, 12 through 20. So, Father, uh, here we are. We're, um, you know, sometimes we're, we're tracking with you and sometimes we're not. But, Lord, thank you that you do pursue us and you overcome us and you draw us into your heart and to your mind and that you uh, transform us by the power of what you speak into our lives. So, would you take what you've transmitted through John here on these pages that are black and white and we have read for your words, but we ask that we would be impressed through the power of your spirit, that we'd hear your voice and be transformed by what you speak and be changed to see you, to love you, and to love others with your mercy and grace. Please, Father, help us in Jesus' name. All right. Let's look at the uh, verses that we're going to. So let's go ahead and pull that up there. And this is John eight twelve through 20. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself and your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I am, where I've come from or where I am going. You judge according to human nature. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true for it is not I alone who judges. Let me see, I'm sorry, I can't read that far away. I alone who judge, but I and my Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And they said to him, therefore, Where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father, because if you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one... ah, Sorry. (laughs) But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. All right. So let's look first about the fact that Jesus makes this incredible declaration that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I I think a little historical context is important to understand what's going on here. Because... This is during the Feast of Tabernacles, one of the major Jewish holidays of the year. Feast of Tabernacles, or booths, 
The Jews would construct booths during this time of celebration for temporary dwellings that resembled the structures built by the Israelites living in the desert after their exodus from Egypt. As part of the festivities, four golden bowls would be uh, erected and put into place, as you can see up there in that uh, little picture there. And an abundance of oil was poured into these large golden bowls. The lamps rose over the outside walls of the temple and were said to illuminate illuminate the entire city of Jerusalem. As part of the celebration, the worshipers danced with torches and singing and speaking words of praise. The Levites played the musical instruments standing on the steps that led from the court of the Israelites to the court of the women. The dancing and singing lasted all night until dawn, and this carried on for six, seven days, depending. One important point is that the main candelabrum was left lit or lighted until the last night to remind the Israelites that they still awaited their full salvation in the future. But now, Jesus Messiah declares himself to be the light of the world. Remember, if you've been here going through John with uh, Pastor Brian, is that in John's first chapter, as he starts out his declaration of who Jesus is, he describes the Messiah coming into the world He says, the Messiah coming into the world in him was life, and his life was the light of mankind. Now, that's an odd statement. So many times when we we see the, you know, we read scripture and it talks about light in various ways and for various people, including God, his people, But in this case, it's not mere light alone. But it's rather his life is the light of all humankind. It says the light, as John goes on, he says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So the very life of God in the person of Jesus is what gives energy to have light. Paul in 1 Timothy says that God dwells in unapproachable light. And yet here is Jesus, the Christ becoming man. And by his life, light happens. Look up into the ceiling and take a look at these, the lights that are above you. No tricks, promise. Go ahead and just look up. Take a look at these lights. Okay. Compare that when you go outside afterwards, I dare you to look into the sun. Because these are imitations of what the sun does, correct? But unfiltered or, you know, with some kind of shade, you can't look at the sun. 
please don't do that. I don't want lawsuits. But just think about that between the true light that lights this earth and artificial light here. You know, it's really something that if, and I love science, I enjoy talking about it, but we can only see a very small portion of light from the sun. Any guesses as to what the percentage of in the light spectrum, how much we can see with our unaided eye? 30? I hear 30. Oh, you're going lower. 10. I hear 10. 25. It's less than 1% of the entire wave spectrum that is light. Stunning, isn't it? But we understand through science that light comes in many other colors, wavelengths. We have radio waves. We have um, infrared, ultraviolet, x-ray, gamma ray. They're all invisible to our, the naked eye. And yet, many of those wavelengths are so important to our culture right now. Think of radio waves. We get that as we observe the universe, and these radio waves are just pouring into our atmosphere. We don't hear that. We don't sense that. We don't see that. I mean, uh, think of infrared. If you have night goggles at night and you're shooting coyotes or you're going after pigs... You need those things to see so you can hit your target. I hate those things. We live out in the wilderness, so yes, I understand that. But otherwise, you couldn't see in the dark, right? Infrared's used in science for, for curing certain things and helping in therapeutic ways. Think of x-rays. If we didn't have x-rays, we wouldn't be able to actually see inside our bodies if we have broken bones or misplaced necks, or whatever that is. You can't. It's impossible, and yet there it is, developed so that we can see. Even a magnetic resonance imaging, the MRIs, without that, mag, without that resonance, that wavelength, coupled with magnetism, which we can't recognize and see, we wouldn't be able to have this amazing imaging that really helps detect diseases and other maladies that we suffer from. So... Think about this in the reality of what we're talking about with his very life being our light. God, would you open up my eyes to see who you are to where your light will just literally transform me. Give me ears to hear your life, which will lead me in this life. So think about that. If in the natural we can own, we see less than 1%, God, I want to see as much as I can until the day you come and redeem me from this body to where I stand before you face to face and I can actually be in your presence, being able to see this incredible light. Because it will make the sun look like a flashlight when Jesus returns and when we stand face to face with him. I want to look at... Um, the slide there in First John. Because not only does we need to hold close to how he describes himself and we need to join ourselves to him in such a way, but there's also, what is God calling us to? 
What is he calling us to? What is he requiring of us? And this uh, scripture out of John 1, 5 through 7, which, remember, John wrote later on in his life. When we read John's account here, it's, you know, again, re, re, uh, remembering what Jesus did and said as inspired by the Holy Spirit. But then years later, before he passes on, he writes these letters to the churches. And he starts out the book by saying, we beheld, we saw deeply and handled the word of life. Because this is post-resurrection. And John is still amazed by the person of Jesus. He is still enraptured and in love with his God. And he's just amazed that we touched and handled him and we heard him and we saw him. It comes right through those verses when you read that. But in this play, in this particular passage, he says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is that connection of staying in the light. Fellowship is an interesting word. It, 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 it's a, a Greek term, and it means partnership. Coming alongside to help, participation, uh, sharing in, communion, having a, a deep place of oneness with someone or with God. It's so important that we understand that our fellowship, our communion, our participation, that we're participants in God's plan for this earth. He calls us into a partnership. And that our communion with him goes out to the rest of our community, where we live, where we work, where we play. And so in that sense that we need to see so that we can walk in that. Because when we do, darkness has no place. If, if we were to shut off every light in this room and there was relative darkness, we don't fight the, the darkness. We simply turn on a switch and the light comes up. But you see, the key verse there is that the blood of his son cleans us from all sin. That's the power of a new family connection. I mean, we were all birthed at some point in time. That's our bloodline naturally. But the Father has literally brought us into a new family line through the blood of his Son. That's the power that the sacrifice of Jesus brings. And it allows us to come into a brand new place of sonship, being daughters and sons, in Christ, before God the Father, and so that we are able to have this continual washing and cleansing so that we're not in a place of walking in darkness. 
All through the centuries, God calls his people lights in this world. Jesus calls his disciples, those that would follow him, as being lights in the world. That is our calling. That is what he calls us. That is part of our identity in him. The nice thing is, we're not required to find the light switch when we're in front of people. Well, I'm dealing with this. I'm struggling with this. I don't feel comfortable this. You know, we can come up with a million excuses. Well, how do I turn on the light? How can I be light? We don't have to find the light switch. His life filling us floods us with light. And that's seen by others. Think about that. When Jesus was talking about lights, they they didn't have electricity. Remember, it was all oil-based. I know, not ecologically correct, but who cares right now? It, it demanded oil to be lit. Well, oil in Scripture is used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And so by the oil, by the energy that's there of life and light, we simply be rather than try to do something. Does that make sense? It, sure, it certainly takes the pressure off of you to perform somehow as a witness to the world. It's by his energy. It's by his power. It's by his life that lights that Jesus can say this. Okay. So let's think about these passages as Jesus makes this declaration, and we enter into a place where Jesus is debating and he talks about his testimony. This happened daily. Jesus and his ongoing debate with the leaders, the religious leaders, was constant. Sometimes every day, if he was in Jerusalem or in parts of the more populated parts of Israel. There was this constant debating, this constant pressure, this constant persecution that occurred. Think of yourself as if you had a job or in school where every day you would have to face constant opposition. Maybe some of you are in jobs like that. (laughs) But every single day, There wasn't a day of rest. How difficult would that be? How pressured? I mean, you couldn't wait to find another job. You couldn't wait to go to another school. You know, even in our society right now, there's such an increase of bullying that are driving, destroying lives, leading to suicide of young men and women. But this is the Savior being... Persecuted. John says this clearly in his first chapter again. Men love darkness because their deeds are evil, so they will not come to the light. They actually oppose it. This is our Savior suffering daily. And you know, being lights in this world, that is part of our calling, part of our identity to share in his sufferings. I mean, someone calls you a nasty name because you're a Christian. How do we take that? But when you think about the persecuted saints of the world in Africa, 
China, Myanmar. Their families are torn apart. Their children are killed. That is part of our calling. We don't have to be dumb people to be persecuted. Because of the light and the love of God in us, and because Jesus dwells there, we immediately become objects of persecution. That's the underbelly. It's not always great walking in Christ, right? It is part of our calling. So embrace that. Because we share in his glory, Paul says in Timothy, we also share in his sufferings. But Jesus' response is a repetition of some of his earlier statements in John's account. The leaders and many people did not want to hear what Jesus had to say. And eventually, they were unable to hear. On top of that, Jesus dealt with his disciples. Even the disciples, Jesus had to repeat his teachings and commands over and over again. Not because they were in opposition to them, to him, but were so slow to pick up the depth of meaning of Jesus in his words. You know, growing up with my children, for long stretches of time, my poor children, I thought that they were the only deaf and dumb children on the block. Considering how many times I had to repeat things to them. I know none of you parents have that today. It's a more modern time. But then I began to realize there was really an epidemic in our community of deaf children. As I talked to parents and heard their stories, I thought, oh my gosh, this is a great disease. (laughs) I know you as children were always listening to your parents. They never had to repeat anything to you whatsoever, right? Nobody's shaking their head yes. We were all deaf and dumb. (laughs) Well, how many times Jesus would say to his disciples, children, children, because they were slow to hear and slow to understand. That's why we need to have things repeated from God to us. That's why we need to re-energize. Even John in his later letters and, and Peter in his letters say, now, I don't need to remind you, but love one another. Be obedient. Please listen. Grab a hold of him. We need to hear that. We need to respond to that. Because we're like children many times. In this passage here, Jesus is using language of testimony or witnessing as to the true person or fact. This was part of the Jewish culture as well as their past. That this testimony or witness or, you know, prophets would come or works of power from God would come as a testimony to God's people throughout their history. So I want to look at five witnesses, five testimonies that are part of the confirmation that the truth is in the person of Jesus Because we need to see this. We need to know this. So let's look at John the Baptist, what he's named as John the Baptist, because he baptized. In John 5, you can find all of these. 
So that's why we're kind of going back to remind ourselves that John, he testified to the truth. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that through him everyone might believe. Isaiah prophesied about that Elijah would come before the coming of the Messiah. And throughout Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it describes John as being a type of Elijah. Now, everybody was looking for the Messiah. And here comes John, his cousin, who had a miraculous birth, was prepared, and then all of a sudden he goes off the map and he's in the desert dressing in camel hair, eating bugs. Have any of you watched, um, it's on YouTube. Gosh, I just blanked out, I'm sorry. It's the most modern thing on, on Jesus, his life. Chosen, right. <laughs> A couple of disciples called him Crazy John. Because, I mean, imagine this. You, you kind of have a passage. The Messiah is going to be proclaimed first by a prophet speaking about him. And then all of a sudden you have this man dressed in camel cloth, eating bugs, dunking people in a river, the Jordan. I mean, it's not what was expected, was it? Think about that. And yet God used that to testify about Jesus being the light, the Messiah coming. Prepare the way. Of the Lord. Make your path straight. Repent. And yet the religious and many people could would not accept it because this man was crazy. This man didn't fit what we would think about being a proclaimer of the Messiah, right? Okay. Jesus himself. Next slide. His life and his words were a proclamation as to the truth of what, who he was. Remember, John, at the end of this book, will say, but these things are written about all the works that he did and said, and in the words he said, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. We have four accounts here, don't we? Matthew, Mark, Luke including John, talking about the life, the words, the deeds of Jesus being the Messiah. It was the fulfillment of multiple prophetic declarations in the Jewish scriptures of what we call commonly the Old Testament. I think the number is 300 some odd different prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus fulfilled. That is a miracle. That is impossible to arrange and set up. It's a miracle. But we see his love, his devotion to God, his tenderness, his compassion, how he spoke the truth and challenges the religious norm. He brings the outcast in and accepts the rejected. That's his testimony about himself. And we need to see that. We need to grab a hold of him and say, yes, This is a proof. The next that John testifies is the works. The very works Jesus said that I'm doing testify about me. 
What are those works? They're works of miracles. They're works of miracles, works of power testifying to who he is. Going back to John the Baptist, he's arrested, he's thrown into prison. Remember, he thought the Messiah was coming to deliver Israel. He knew the prophecies. He expected Jesus to become the king right now. But there he is wallowing in prison, facing death, and he sends one of his confederates to go to Jesus to find out, are you the one to come or should we look for another? And Jesus tells this man who's come from John, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind are receiving their sight. The lame are walking. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Because understanding the mindset, the religious leaders of that time were looking for the signs of Messiah that looked like Moses and the prophets. Thunder and rain from the sky, earthquakes, fire coming down. All these things, those were the signs that they constantly said, show us a sign. They missed the signpost right in front of them. They missed the fact that the dead were raised. Cripples were walking. Blind people from birth were seeing. A woman, years and years of an issue of blood, healed at that very moment. Those are the signs and the works of power that testify that Jesus alone is the Messiah, the Anointed One. And we need to grab a hold of that. Lord, would you bring works of power in our time? Lord God, would you perform in this world your works? Interesting enough, that's one of our callings. Because Jesus said, those that believe in me and follow me will do these very same works and even more. That is a challenge to you and I. May God grant us faith and power through his spirit in these days. I challenge myself with that statement. But the works are proof of who he is. Next we see the Father. The Father God from heaven. Declaring his own son. Jesus used these words, the Father who sent me has himself testified about me. His voice speaks about who I really am. Remember when he was baptized by John the Baptist. As he came up out of the water, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Wow. Remember the raising of Lazarus. In his conversation, he's having this open prayer with the Father from heaven. And he's talking about glorify me, please. And the Father says, yes, I will glorify you. And what's he do? He commands Lazarus to come out of the grave after four days. And finally, the full expression of the Father about his son of mercy and love, he gives away his son to die a sinner's death in our place. Wow. 
What father in here would give away their child for somebody else? No, I wouldn't have. But yet, the Father from heaven declaring, here is my sacrifice to have you come back in a right relationship with God. Amazing. But he didn't leave him in the grave, did he? The Father made a command and raised him up on that third day, never to die again. That's glorifying him as his son, as he always did. So there's the testimony of the Father. And finally, the very scriptures. Jesus said to these religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I don't have a Bible here with me, but just lift up a Bible real quick. Somebody just lift up their Bible. Now, can the Bible become an idol in our lives? Treading on heretical ground here, but just understand what I'm saying. Can this book take preeminence over the living word himself? Yes. The scriptures are not there so that we can win at Bible trivia. Anybody ever play that game? Yeah, okay. Don't, don't be ashamed to hold your hand up. It's, it's not a shame that you know that and do well at it. <laughs> but just understand where I'm trying to go with this. We can fall into the same trap that these religious leaders fell into. We know a lot about it, but are we attaching that to the living word who dwells in us and we're hearing his voice? When we do our devotionals in the morning, now sometimes we just read and we understand we're tired, we get up and we do a devotional or at night, whenever you do. <clears throat> but if that becomes a practice and we are not engaging with our living father, our living savior, to where we're allowing that to speak to us, encourage us, strengthen us, correct us, give us direction for that day, we're missing the whole point of why this was given to us and delivered to us. It can become an idol in and of itself. The very fact that the people of Jerusalem and other rulers did not recognize Jesus and they condemned him and yet they fulfilled the very word of the prophets that were read every Sabbath day. That he would die a criminal's death. And yet the scriptures proclaim that he is coming again to redeem the earth. And this time, not as a suffering servant, a ruling king is coming again. Yeah. And whether we're there to meet him or we die before he comes for us, we will see him face to face and we will be satisfied. And I can't wait to hear the words, well done, 
good and faithful servant. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I can't wait to hear those words. But hear those words today. If you know him, hear his voice to you. Hear his testimony over you. What does he say about himself? His all that we've gone through here. The celebration of who he is. Let your life be enriched by that. Grow in that. Be filled. Walk with your Savior. And if you don't know him, I hope this draws you to who he is. Not to what you think he is, but who he really is. Let the revelation of God through his Son be your hope and salvation this week. Blessings over you.